And welcome to this episode of We Need to Talk About Whiteness. I'm joined today by a powerhouse of a woman. She's a fashion stylist, writer, cultural commentator and artist based in London. Her name is Aisha Akambi and you may have seen her recently in Stylist magazine as part of a feature on mental health commissioned by Jamila Jamil No Less. When she's not styling artists like Coffee, Aisha shares her unconventional and divergent thoughts on Twitter, where she's amassed a growing following, myself included. I first came across Aisha through a video which went viral last year in which she discusses the problem she sees with wokeness, explaining that social justice awareness can turn into some form of oppression Olympics. And needless to say, that provoked much debate. So welcome, Aisha. Thank you for having me. One of the reasons um, I wanted to talk to you about whiteness is because I know that you're not going to give me the standard responses. Um, so first off, thanks for, for joining the podcast and, and being here to share your thoughts. For those who haven't seen the video, yeah, no, thank you. Um, for those who haven't seen the video, uh, and obviously this is a spoiler alert because I know some people will go out and look for it afterwards. What is the problem with wokeness, Aisha? Um well, it's almost, where do you start? I mean, there are so many problems with wokeness, at least in my view. Um, I think it's well-intended, as most bad ideas tend to be. Um, predominantly, I have with wokeness is it's a very oversimplified notion of issues that form social justice. I think it's a very simplified notion of people's existence, of people's ideas and beliefs. It's very us against them and tribal um, and polarized and there's the censorship and there's the fragility um, and it just goes on and on and I think people just project bad faith I think um, and it's just I just don't think it's helpful in, in most cases um, and I get it because you know I think we're all getting to a certain point in our lives or age and social media allows us the opportunity to see oppression maybe up close or at least maybe to name and articulate oppression for the first time and I think that is very um, seductive for one and I think one when learning something new wants to parade it everywhere irrespective of how destructive it can be so I, I just think it's a very trendy but ultimately unhelpful way of approaching complex issues. And I mean, the, the whiteness conversation does, I think, come really well in under the bracket of this whole wokeness movement. Um, what would be your concerns, apart from, I, I presume, similar concerns to wokeness in general, with the way that whiteness is discussed? I mean, have you been around many conversations around the, the issue of whiteness? They're, they're becoming much more common in the mainstream now. Yeah, if, if I'm honest, I... I try to avoid them when I can, but you can almost not help that anymore. So I am around discussions of whiteness. Um, and again, they seem to me, well, whiteness from what I understand from the way people talk about it is, you know, the kind of, um, the kind of ideas that form white fragility, white privilege, um, and all of those sort of things make up whiteness. And I think if we're going to ask people, white people, whoever it may be actually, to reckon with ideas that are harmful, unhelpful and counterproductive, um, then I don't know if framing whiteness 
in those terms is going to get people to listen. So for me, my critique would come from just a, um, just from a straightforward helpfulness, you know, how, how, sorry, how helpful are these ideas? And I think um, quite naturally, um, these framings tend to get people to shut down more than they do to open up. And for me, what I see within the whiteness discussion is people attributing um, traits and characteristics that plague all people as unique to white people. And for me, that almost makes them um, superior. It almost kind of affirms the superiority that we also try to denounce that I find really um, unattractive. Mm. No, that, that's really interesting because I think one of the reasons that I started looking into the issue of whiteness was because of my own experience of navigating this this whole area where when I wore um, a headscarf as a Muslim, I felt sort of excluded from whiteness. Suddenly I was kind of shoved out the back door, probably not completely, but, you know, definitely enough for me to recognise that I was no longer w welcome in the house in the way that I had previously had been. And then obviously now, because I no longer wear one, suddenly being reintegrated into the house and then sort of being like, oh, hold on a second. Um, I'm not really sure I want to be part of the clan here. Um, not, not, I didn't, didn't, not sure I signed up for all of this. Um, and, and also at the same, same, same time being aware that obviously with it comes all these layers of privilege that as much as I might be seeking to distance myself from aspects of whiteness, which I find deeply problematic, I'm at the same time unable to escape the reality that I'm still benefiting from it. Um, so I'm, that's sort of why I wanted to get into the conversation, but I hear, I hear the critiques that you bring to it. I'm wondering whether you are concerned at all about something that a few people have raised around kind of the performative aspect of wokeness, which I think applies a lot to whiteness too. So that, you know, do, do white people's admissions of racial guilt or racial privilege basically become a sort of process of you know, absolution, like, oh, now I've recognized it. I'm no longer racist. I'm no longer problematic in my behaviors. And and so some critics of, of the whiteness movement, if you want to call it that, or whiteness studies say, well, actually, it just basically serves to consolidate forms of privilege. What what do you think about that? Um, I think uh, these things, whether it's wokeness or whiteness studies and that whole uh, movement. I think these things are attractive because we live in a time where silence is synonymous with being complicit, you mm. know, and if you don't speak out on certain issues, then you can easily be accused of not caring about poor people, for example. And I think people link ideas around social justice and ideas around acknowledging their privilege um, as almost synonymous with being a good person. And in a, on, and when we live our lives on a public stage, being good means everything to a lot of people. Um, and there are real life consequences for how we behave online and not just online, let's say whatever we do offline, if that gets picked up online, you know, then there are real life consequences. So, yes, there is a performative aspect of certain um people who sort of self-flagellate about white privilege and also those who are really committed to woke ideas that serve no good in the long run. I think there is a performative aspect, but I understand it. And it's because we've made things very much of you're either progressive or you're against us. 
you know, and there isn't really much um, complexity. We seem to be allergic to the idea of complexity. And so I think it allows people to perform these things. Um, mm -hmm. For me, when it comes to, um, sorry, because you said something about um, the critique that people have about uh, white people sort of acknowledging their privilege. So I think this is what I was going to say, is that a lot of what we call white privilege um, are just human rights. So let's say the idea that, you know, which should be, you know, which everybody should strive for. We should all be trying to allow everybody to enjoy in, you know, the best of human rights. I don't think these things are just the form of white privilege. And so, you know, the idea that, let's say, if if a black person commits a crime, then that um, that for some reason reflects badly on the whole black quote unquote community. Whereas as a white person, your failures are not are not seen as characteristic of your race. That's a privilege, but it's also a human right. You know, mm. shouldn't have to. You know, what you do as an individual, Miriam, shouldn't have to represent the entire white community. You know, and so I, you know, I get white privilege and I get the, the whole notion of privilege because it's not just privilege anymore I think we're all somewhat expected to acknowledge every privilege that we have and, and that's the thing it doesn't ever stop you know <laughs> who don't have arms and I have arms you know like or there are people that may be a really bad way of framing actually but there are people let's say who I don't know I think the point is what I'm trying to say is that it doesn't stop because people will always have something that other people do not you know, mm. and so, so I don't think we're meant to atone for that constantly. I mean, do you even think it is possible to atone or, and is it desirable to seek to atone for forms of privilege that you do have? Because I do think that that is something that, you know, is very central to personally my interest in whiteness. It's like, well, if you acknowledge that actually being born into you know a categorization because that's all whiteness is it's that you know you're, you're born into a, a category that's been imbued with meaning and power and you know just as someone else has been in, born into a category imbued with different meaning and much lesser power relative to yours and so is there not a responsibility when you recognize that to act to seek to rectify that um well, I, I guess so, you know, I'm I'm fairly passionate about people who don't have what I have, only because I believe that we all should have an equal opportunity in life. That doesn't necessarily lead to equal outcomes, but I believe that, you know, there's certain fundamental basics, you know, that a lot of the world um, does not have, that let's say me, as someone living in the Western world, gets to enjoy or even gets to enjoy at the cost of other people so mm. I do think that we need to be aware of these things whether we should feel you know guilty about things we don't have a choice in you know that we didn't ask for I'm not so sure about that and I'm not so sure how that will fare long term on someone's self-esteem um so I wouldn't I don't know if it's um productive to feel guilty for these things but I think we should acknowledge these things and and I think that's everyone I mean from my traveling I can see that discrimination at the very least if you don't want to call it racism 
is something everybody has. Um, mm. And I feel like we know this. We don't talk about it very much, or a lot, at least not as much as I think we should. But I think discrimination that others would call racism, it depends on whether you believe reverse racism exists or not, but we can at least call it discrimination based on other people's skin color or even shade. It exists all over the world. And so I do believe that um, if we do notice that we have prejudices or biases against a certain class of people, against sexualities and all the rest, um, I do think we have, we owe it to ourselves because if not, we, I don't know, we proudly declare our own stupidity and that's just not good for anyone. Um, so I, I do think we owe it to ourselves and the people around us because we never know who we're going to interact with. So I don't think having biases or prejudices are just are just helpful. So, yes, I think we should acknowledge them, but I don't know about atoning for them. It's interesting um, hearing you talk about kind of when, you know, I think this is true for everyone. When you travel, you do see that obviously every society uh, pretty much that I've been to and it sounds like the same for you 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 see obviously there are forms of prejudice um, and structural prejudice which I would call racism that that manifests in different societies but I had um, Professor Andrews on um, on uh, one of the earlier episodes and he talked about the fact that um, that that is true but wherever you go you know in his words black people are always bottom of the pile those were his words and he said you know um, that he he basically thinks that wherever you go it's like the darker you are the less privileges you have the lighter you are the more privileges you have and so this idea of of, of whiteness and white superiority isn't just a Eurocentric or American centric Western centric idea it's actually one that's had you know, repercussions globally in terms of how societies are stratified. Um, and so in that sense, I think he would he would say, I, don't, I probably don't want to speak for him, actually, but from what I understood of what he said, um, that would mean that there's some level of responsibility to to tackle the the source, if you like, of yeah. of that thinking of the the heart of white white superiority and white supremacy, which um, you know most people would probably argue is is Europe, since much of that was then exported to to America, which then ran off and had its own brand, I think, and and I do think we need to distinguish. But yeah, what what what's your sense with that? I mean, no, he's um, he's completely right. Uh, wherever you do travel, it does seem to be that you know darker skinned people um, are treated or thought of as less, whether that's less beautiful or maybe um, of a lesser class. This is something I I do recognize and realize. Um, and I mean, it's something I'm always thinking about. I mean, I, I know the, um, the prevalent answer to this question that that is white supremacy. And it, it makes sense that I think that is, um, but I'm, I'm trying to think about something. Please, please. That's what we're here for. <laughs> no, I mean. I, I can't say that all of those ideas, you know, because I went to, I remember going to Nigeria and meeting my little cousin for the, the first time. And she was maybe six at the time. And she's very precocious. Mm. Um, and I remember, so she speaks like crazily well and is just really articulate and just blew my mind. And I remember asking her you know, um, what school was like and if there are people of different colours in her school. And I think she went to a fairly decent school. And so I think there, 
yeah, there was a, a lot more of a mix of people there. I think a lot of privileged people sent their children there. And so um, I remember asking her about uh, white people, you know, it was actually my first time in Nigeria and I really wanted to understand what it would be like for a child, especially who's never lived outside of Nigeria. I don't think ever traveled outside of Nigeria, mm. what her interpretation, at least on an aesthetic level, um, would be. And I said, you know, do you have different, you know, different friends from different countries? And she said, oh yeah, I have white friends and stuff like this. And I said, so how do you feel about them? Do you like them? Like, and she said, oh yes, you know, they're just so pretty and their hair. And, you know, she said all of these things, that, you know, we'd be horrified to hear. Not yeah. that children can't be beautiful, but just no, the, yeah. do you, where are you getting these ideas from? And I did, I, I do, I, sorry, I remember her saying that, you know, she did think they were better than looking than her and that she wishes that she could have their hair. Oh, um, and I, you know, remember being really, really saddened by this. And I really tried to think about it. I really just tried to think, okay, could this just simply be potentially um, the other? You know, the grass is always greener in every context, you know. So mm. that looks potentially easier to manage or I don't know I just thought I tried to think of it just from a very almost primitive level you yeah. know it's just something where we always are going to look to things that we don't have as far more superior um but I I don't think it is that I think you know she has enough access to she has enough access to um you know uh, American style tv so things like the Disney channel Nickelodeon and things oh, like yeah. I think she is getting an understanding of what is beautiful, at least from that lens. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, um, Professor Andrews is right. I do think that these things need to be challenged within ourselves. I do think we need to have a broader scope of beauty. Um, and I do think these things might have, um, uh, you know, might have been rooted in, in white supremacy. I think that's a very plausible understanding. However, I think I'm a lot more interested in thinking about how we as a people, um, as opposed to how white people are going to rectify that, you know? Yeah. Uh, that's only because I'm very much of the thinking that you can't control other people, but you can control your response to other people. Mm. And so I think it's very much, you know, even with my photography, I always try to celebrate the the most interesting and and and, and beautiful of black identity that I see. You know, that's my interest because I don't think there's enough of it. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that, that's actually something I wanted to ask you about, because I have, um, I follow you on Instagram and uh, to all our listeners, if you if you haven't, you should definitely follow Aisha. It's amazing photography on, on Instagram. Um, yeah. T tell me about the choices that you, you make and what, what informs them there, because to, to kind of touch on the, the, the issue, obviously, that your, your, is it your niece or your cousin? It's my, my niece. Oh, your niece, yeah. I mean, this idea that obviously, um, particularly within the fashion industry, within the modeling industry, um, concepts of beauty, although some might say they are shifting, they're still very much um, the idea that actually there's only uh, certain aspects of um, black beauty that are then appropriated. So, you know, the idea that actually curves have only really come in as being desirable since they were, you know, <sighs> 
made fashionable by a certain very famous family that doesn't need me to do any more publicity for them um or uh, but but even within that some people would say and I've had I've had black female friends say to me but where do we come up with the idea that curves is a black thing because you know they're actually not curvy and so they're like well hold on isn't this also a form of mythology about blackness that all black women are curvy um that woman sorry because yeah yeah you're, you're right because I'm definitely not the curvaceous quote unquote black woman that I I don't know that we're meant to be so yeah, I get you're the same. So yeah, so I'm just curious about, you know, your experience of the fashion industry. I mean, what does whiteness look like to you in the fashion industry or or how do you experience um, you know, all of these debates that are currently being had over the need to to change the face and image and ideals of the industry? Mm. Well, um you know, it's interesting now that you say it. So whiteness, let's say in terms of how it affects me within my industry, I would say is non-existent, which isn't to say that there aren't people who stereotype me, who might think I'm in the wrong place, um, but I've just got to a point in my life where I can't allow that to, I can't allow that to seep through. Mm. Um, So I would say on that level, it's not something I have to contend with very much. But in terms of beauty and um, ideals and, just the sort of ideas that are often um, conveyed to women, especially, um, there is an ideal about what a beautiful woman is. Um, and I think that, I know I mainly work as a, a music fashion stylist, so my main work is within with music artists, you know, and mm. I work music videos and, and photo shoots and red carpet events and that type of thing. Um, and I've often worked with a lot of, um, Sorry, you cut out briefly there. Sorry, say it say again. Okay. Uh, um, my work in music tends to be with those who are in the rap crime paradigm. At least when I'm working with UK artists, you know, I've worked with various others as well, but I've definitely worked with a lot of artists who are in rap and grime music. And yeah. there does to be an aesthetic that is and not just actually grime even in afro beats um there does seem to be an aesthetic that people um desire a lot more um and again i think these ideas um and that's generally let's say someone who might be racially ambiguous or someone who resembles that family that we will not name uh, <laughs> you know it it tends to be something in that and i um, I find it interesting because I often think to myself, you know, where does this come from? Yeah, where does it come from? And I think it comes from so many places. It comes from other music videos. It comes from um, a lot of famous people's ideas of what beauty is because a lot of people look to celebrities as almost parental figures, at least mm. in terms of how they at least in terms of, you know, the own ideals that they learn from them and the own, their own values that they get from these people. Um, and so it does play itself out in those ways, very much still. It's still a certain type of aesthetic that is quite conventional um, and routinely sort of hashed out that people still find, like, the ultimate beauty. Um, and 
what's happened recently is because now there are women on Twitter, um, a lot of black women on Twitter who call this stuff out. So they, they watch music videos of some of their favorite artists or people whose music they enjoy and they're not seeing representations of themselves um, and they're calling it out. Mm. And so recently I was on a music video and I remember um, the girls in the video were predominantly white um, and there was this hurry and scuffle around management. They were like, we have to get some black girls here. Can't start shooting until we get some black girls in the video. We need some dark skinned girls. Mm. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, I mean, this is a direct, um, a direct result from Twitter, you know, and Instagram and, and all these things that people have said, like people have listened. I can't say that just because they were in the videos that they are seen as more desirable, but I think we've directly told people how we want to be advertised to at the very least you know yeah sorry yeah no I'm just wondering how and how you feel about that because I feel like the intersection of of race and gender as well comes into it here where it's like well you know um the commodification of women's beauty you know is a long-standing issue as it is for for feminists and then it's like well you know as as kind of issues around black beauty come to the fore is it a question of like now just you know black beauty now also simply being commodified so it's like okay we haven't got enough girls in thongs in the front row of the you know music video we now need to get you know a few black girls in there as well because it's too many white girls or you know, is there something to be said about how, you know, if we're talking about redressing whiteness, maybe part of the whiteness includes the commodification of beauty? I don't know. It's 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 something I think about a lot because I, I think the whiteness for me is very much tied with capitalism and the idea of, of having to create hierarchies of human value in order to justify the exploitation of other people because basically capitalism is a pyramid right so not everybody can be at the top you need a load of people at the bottom that that, that keep the wheels turning and in order to justify the fact that there's a few uh, billionaires at the top and a load of people who can't feed their families at the bottom you have to create um, you know some kind of ideological justification for that and racism is a really good one because it's just like well you know these are the superior enlightened democratic slash human rights people who've propelled philosophy and you know civilization and then down there are the people with no history and therefore no meaning and no value and therefore anything can be done to them and, uh, and so I, I wonder where women fit into that because when I hear that, you know, that, oh, we suddenly need to get some black girls in the video, I'm thinking, is that a positive development? Is that whiteness really being challenged? I mean, for me, it's it's not what I would call a win or it's not what I would um, it's not what I would rank as a as a form of progress. However, I understand why people need it. Um, I often think a lot of these conversations around even representation sometimes. And again, it's all well intended, but I think sometimes we are fighting for our right to be commodified. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be, and I, I, I just don't know about that. I mean, I would, I don't really watch music videos considering that I do work on them. <laughs> yeah. But, but I mean, I often don't as well because I mean, fair enough, I do like a lot of different styles of music, but I think I stopped watching music videos when I could predict what they were going to be. 
Um, and I just found it, I just didn't find it very interesting anymore. And so my thing often, you know, where sometimes I see people on Twitter talking about, oh, we need different types of video girls and we need, you know, a leading girl to look like this. And I'm just kind of like, oh, what about if there were just no girls and there actually had to be a concept other mm -hmm. than objectifying people, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just actually, yeah, had a, a narrative that wasn't about anyone. <laughs> yeah, or if women were there as people as opposed to decorations, you know? Like, what if that? And I think for me, that might be a more positive trend um, in music video depiction. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think these are the, these are the things where I, I become critical or at least cautious of adopting certain language of of buying headfirst into these ideas because I, I I what we're sometimes fighting for doesn't always seem clear to me are you still there sorry I just yeah to... yeah absolutely yeah and no, I'm, I'm I'm definitely still here so yeah I mean so what do you think we should be fighting for because I suppose the project of whiteness um as you know when I when I started the podcast and when I started the website the idea for me was sort of realizing that a lot of people who are identified or would be identified as white around me had no realization of the impact of their racial identity or the meaning of their racial identity um, of, um, for others. And that was, was a bit of a revelation for me because for all of my adult life, having been, you know, I don't want to say excluded from whiteness because I still would be perceived as kind of off-white, even with a headscarf, but certainly being marginalised from it, I was became, I became very aware of how whiteness operated around me. And so um, when, when people would sort of say, well, you know, my whiteness doesn't mean anything, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have any significance. It's just, I just am. I'd, I'd think, well, that's kind of the highest level of entitlement <laughs> to believe that your racial identity, which has essentially build, been the building block for racism, has no meaning. It basically means you're not listening to anyone that isn't white, <laughs> from, from my perspective, at least. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, what, what do you think about that? I mean, do you, do you come across people who are identified as white, who, who you feel recognize the meaning of that whiteness? Or do you, do you feel that that's being acknowledged and you know I mean the best example I always come back to I don't know if you ever saw that um the film with um Sandra Bullock um where she's say, quote unquote the the sort of white savior saving the young black football player um I think it's called Blindside or something I, I don't know if you've seen it but anyway there's have you, you've heard of it maybe yes Hello? I'm, yeah I'm still there yes so I've heard of it yes um yeah I it's called isn't it birdhouse or something no it's not that is it no that's the recent one no blind blindside is the one where this this white american southern family res rescues quote unquote um a young black american football player and he goes on to to become you know an, a really really great player and and make lots of money for them and for their team uh but but there's this great scene where um she is looking for him he's gone missing and she walks into 
you know the projects um with her with her little heels and a handbag and uh you know her, her her little hair done and with her flashy car and she pulls up and the whole scene is filmed as if you know oh my god she's walking into this scary black neighborhood with yeah. all of these black people <laughs> around her and she's knocking on this door and oh my god a black person has opened the door and she's clutching her gun and you know it's almost like the way it's filmed you're meant to identify with that and you know to me I'm looking at this and I'm thinking how many people in that neighborhood were absolutely shit scared of this white woman driving up parking up and knocking on their door I mean somebody thought they were being evicted right <laughs> probably there were loads of people absolutely terrified of what this woman was actually coming to do in their neighborhood but all right. we saw was was whiteness mm -hmm. um and so I'm just really interested in in the extent to which you feel that that kind of single perspective because that's what whiteness is to me is like this single myopic perspective on the world continues to dominate or do you feel that that is changing in any meaningful way well I, I guess you know being in a creative environment through fashion styling and you know it's generally very um very far left let's say, orientated, generally speaking. And I think social justice has become a lot more prevalent. And I think um, anybody who spends a significant time on the internet is starting to understand things surrounding gender, you know, which is a, another very complex and new kind of story. Um, and I think people are understanding race narratives in ways that they've never understood before. So around me, specifically um i do notice a lot of people who understand what it is or what whiteness is in the way that it's often spoken about um but sometimes i have trouble with those people if i'm honest because i find i find and again it's all well intended like i'm not really someone who harbors um any any ill feeling onto anyone mm. even lots of people that i dislike or fiercely disagree with you know I always try to think more about how people have come to those ideas but you know I've had a, a white friend a male once who was very deeply entrenched in um, what I would call woke ideology and maybe not just woke ideology maybe that's not always fair but he was very much around social justice lingo and just that way of thinking about the world. So let's say, you know, world is power structures, which, you know, it is in many ways, but power was all he saw. Mm. Um, he's not the only one who kind of now thinks of interactions in that way. I mean, I was only speaking to a friend the other day and he was saying, but this person has more power in the discussion. And I was like, but no, this was just a, a discussion between two people on the internet. Mm. You know, oh, but this person has more power and he knows he has more power. And I just thought that was really bizarre because it really kind of assumes that everybody is entrenched in a certain belief system or in certain theories, which they're not. Um, but anyway, this friend of mine, a male, a white guy, who anytime he was speaking to me, he would always tell me about my oppression. You know, I would, I would say that in, in quotes, my quote unquote oppression, he would love to tell me about. And he would mm. love to tell me about all of the reasons why, you know, I am a victim and how people like him benefit from people like me. Um, and I just, I just thought it was really patronizing. I thought it was really condescending 
Um, and I just, I really strongly, strongly, strongly like disliked it. And to the point that like, we don't even speak anymore. Mm. Um, and that's not true. That's not really me as a character. I mean, it takes a lot to annoy me. Well, actually it doesn't take a lot to annoy me, but it's a lot for me to act on that annoyance, should I say? Mm. Yeah. Um, and so, um, yeah, I think it's really hard. But then I get it again. I really had to think about his behavior. And a lot of it comes from, you know, because he was around a lot of black people. He dated black women, in fact. Um, and I think this was because anytime I would say something, as you know, I don't always I don't always take the party line on many yeah. things. And so whenever I would say something about how I've grown up or my experience of the world, you know, he would always tell me that's not how it is. And then he would, he would repeat a slogan to me. And, and you know, it's a slogan when, you know, you've seen it tweeted a thousand yeah. times in different variations, you know, like, and that's how I see a lot of the conversation. They become more like songs than statements, you know, like very much like lyrics. And so he was giving me these lyrics to things that I was saying. And I could tell that they came from, because he said he learned a lot from a black ex-girlfriend of his. Um, and I could tell, like, he had, you know, her mouth, you know, in his brain. Mm. Um, and I just found it really condescending. So I'm probably one of the rare people who almost like it to some degree when white people aren't entrenched in this type of thing because mm. that's the only time that I feel like I'm spoken to as and maybe other people would largely argue and contest this with me but it's the time when I feel like I'm spoken at as a human being as opposed to through my lens of oppression yeah uh, and I prefer that you know I, yeah I know it, it makes sense because also from what you've just said it sounds like somebody speaking to you uh, not as Aisha, but as a black person, yes, which yes. is, you know, a very different thing and actually very reductive. You know, I I often, um, I mean, actually, I haven't really spoken much about this because, um, you know, when, when I stopped wearing my headscarf consistently, a lot of people wanted to politicize that for all kinds of reasons. You know, we have our own discourses around how people want to claim that this is now your empowering moment of freedom since you've removed your headscarf and it was none of that which was behind it but much more the fact that I found that my identity started to become reified where where like every time somebody would speak to me they would only ever talk to me as a Muslim woman they'd be like oh and so I've heard that this happened or what do you as a Muslim woman what do you think about this and I'd be like yo I am a thousand things Muslim woman is one of them like <laughs> we possibly like talk about the weather <laughs> like any anything but so I, I I actually really hear you um on that and I do sometimes actually wonder whether um you know coming back to a point we touched on earlier about how white you know discussing whiteness can become performative if the whole idea in as part of whiteness is to you know in many ways you know as as my partner says to me uh speak less and listen more <laughs> um for white people in general and then then maybe it is about sort of actually in that case not speaking over your experience because he thinks he understands it when actually you know we you might understand one person's experience of the world that doesn't mean you're entitled to generalize over all of them um 
But I, I'm wondering on, on, on my last question, because we've got to let you go, but um, whether you think there is any value in um, something that I don't know if you're familiar with Robin D'Angelo, who wrote yeah. the book uh, White Fragility. Um, interviewed her as well and one of the things she says is that she tries to help people or at least in her her case she's trying to be quote unquote less white and I'm just wondering a whether you think white people can ever become less white and whether that is a desirable goal and who gets to decide if you've become less white yeah, I mean, for one, I guess we'd have to define what white is. And I think if you want to become less of something, then the assumption is that white as a as a race is just inherently negative, um, which is not an idea that I can in good consciousness stand behind. Um, but then what would it mean? So let's say if you did get rid of your whiteness, you relinquished it. Does this, I don't know, take people out of poverty? Does this stop crime? Does this, I don't know, does this make up for a certain history? I mean, I don't know what it would mean um, to become less white, unless we're saying that white is automatically ignorant, uh, bigoted, and the rest. Um, I don't know what that means. Um, I would say in general, that I think we can all be somewhat less attached to our race as an identity in the sense, and when I mean our race as an identity, I think it's very easy to get caught up in essentializing characteristics or essentializing our race and our gender. So a woman does this, a black person does this, a white woman does that, you know, or, you know, being black as being the most central part of your identity, which it's not for me. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a socially constructed reality, you know, yeah. to my pigmentation or whatever, but, that beyond that I don't know maybe apart from the fact that you know because I am black I'm interested in these discussions and I, I have been following where the the black mainstream narrative has been going um but I'd like to also think that even if I wasn't black you know any form you know because there are things that I'm not affected by I'm quite interested in the gender discussion um although yeah I don't I don't look at it the way maybe a lot of other people will look at it or the way we're meant to look at it. But, you know, I'm interested in these things because it's, this is how my fellow people on earth are living with me. Um, and so I don't know. I think people should just, I think people should try to see the, any biases that they might have and how that may play out. In fact, I think we all have biases, but how do we act on those? Those are the things I think we need to remedy within ourselves. Um, but uh, to me, feels like um, feels like something that I don't know because I don't know what being less white does. I don't know because even if you're less white than, than might accuse you of black or inserting yourself in black discussions, and the problem with wokeness and that ideology is you can't truly ever win. Really, you can't really ever win because you do this thing and then you might be considered a white savior. If you do that thing, then you're speaking over black people. If you don't speak, then you're complicit, you know? <laughs> so, you know, it's a very, it's a web or, you know, like a maze that, you know, doesn't really have an exit. Um, 
even if you apologize, let's say you get canceled and you apologize, but your apology isn't good enough. You know, not really many ways out of this. So I think for me in general, um, as I think, you know, there there has to be another way to approach social justice issues and have really hard conversations without projecting bad faith onto everybody, you know, Mm -hmm. because I don't think everybody who is ignorant is evil. You know, I meet them constantly of all kinds of races. And I don't think that means that, yeah, I don't think it means that they're evil, maybe stupid, you know, Mm. in that department, but I don't think it means that they're evil. Um, And I think we need to embrace complexity. Um, And so in regards, sorry to go back to it, I just kind of went all over the place. No, no, yeah, please. But to go back to um, whether we can be less white, I think the question for me is, whether we can embrace complexity, you know, mm. because it doesn't seem to be something we can do very easily right now. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. I think that's um, a really nice way to end on it because I do think that um, you've got a really uh, fair point when it comes to the ways in which contemporary discussions are sort of framed by wokeness do become really sort of um, black and white. You have to choose your camp and um you're right about the bad faith as well aren't you i mean that that these days it's very difficult to sort of backtrack on anything um which i'm not surprised so many people struggle with um you know depression and anxiety because i'm thinking well you're scared to say anything because you might end up being cancelled but we're all just learning aren't we and um there's not a lot of scope for for learning from your mistakes i think at least not publicly so um well, thank you. Thank you for sharing all your thoughts with us. And um, yeah, I, uh, I hope we'll get you back in the very near future. Thanks very much to Aisha and thank you all for listening. Thanks for having me.